0: So the sermon this morning is dealing with leadership, but the specific type of leadership that Jesus taught us, and it's called servant leadership. This is not something that you find in the world. In the world, the mindset of the world is, I need to look out for number one. The mindset of the world is, you need to make yourself look good. You need to scramble and even step on others around you so that when the time comes, you are the first one thought of when the promotions are coming or you are the first one thought of when the, the, the primo jobs are being given out. And even as Christians, we still have to play that game to some degree. Because, how many of you have had to put together a resume? And what do you have to do in those resumes? You have to make yourself look real good. You have to tell the truth, because you're a Christian. But, you've got to make yourself look better than all the other candidates, so that you get a chance at at, at at an interview. And when you get to the interview, you need to wow them with who you are. Am I not right? How many of you people have gone through this process? It's the expectation because of the world we live in. Now, how do we do that or lead in whatever environment we have and still honor God with our lives and live a Christ-like life? Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse one says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That's a pretty powerful statement if you think about it. But the other thing is, is when you say you're a follower of Christ, you're literally saying, I want to be like Jesus in everything. There's an old Hebrew term called Talmid or Talmidim. Talmid is the singular, Talmidim is plural. And it literally means a student or a follower of. And it's one who takes on the attributes of the rabbi. In other words, you're following a rabbi, a teacher, And you want to be like that teacher. Why? So you can one day become a rabbi yourself so that you can have your own followers who can then learn from you and carry on these traditions. Now, if you bring that into the Christian mindset, Jesus was the ultimate rabbi teaching us the way that God expected us to live. And we are called to follow his example and to be Christ-like. christian the term Christian means little Christ.
1: It was actually a derogatory
0: term used to make fun of the people who were following the way. That's also a biblical term, if you're not familiar with it, it's in the book of Acts. But the way of the master, the way of Christ, is to be a servant leader, one who does not promote oneself, which goes counter to what our world does. So I wanna look at this morning a little bit. What does it mean? What is servant leadership? And what does the Bible have to say about it? And how in the world can I live my life today and still be successful in the world, but at the same time be honoring to Christ and bring glory to his name through all of my interactions with people? So let's look at what the scripture has to say relating to this concept of servant leadership. First of all, we're going to be looking at the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 1 to 17. This is the story of Jesus in the upper room with his disciples on the night before he was betrayed and crucified. On the night, on the eve, uh, the eve before he was betrayed and crucified. So it says, verse 1 of chapter 13, it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to portray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, You don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, "Uh, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Well, then Lord Jesus, Simon Peter replied, not only just my feet, but my hands, and my head as well. And Jesus answered, a person who has had bath needs only to wash his feet, Peter. His whole body's clean. You're clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher, rabbi. You call me Lord. And rightly so, for that's what I am. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. no No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, You will be blessed if you do that. Now, first of all, look at verse three of this section. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. What is that saying to us? Well, first of all, it's saying Jesus knew who he was. He was confident. There wasn't any question about who he was. But you see, in Eastern culture, there's something called losing face. Uh, It's very foreign to us in the West. But what it means is, you as an individual will do absolutely everything to keep from being humiliated or embarrassed or looked down upon. And you do everything in your power to keep from doing that to someone else. You do not want to ever cause someone to lose face. Lose face means to be embarrassed or humiliated. Jesus, working in that culture as their rabbi, should never have stripped himself down and got on his knees carrying a bowl and a towel, which was the job of a lowly household slave and went to each one of the people that followed him and elevated them above himself through this physical act. In their culture, Jesus himself was causing himself to lose face, which was abhorrent to these people. This is why Peter said what he said. And I can guarantee you every single one of those disciples were going, And they're flinched when he came to do his feet because this isn't right. He's the master. We should be doing this for him. Duh. Why did Jesus do this? Because the people who were sitting in the room were all looking at each other going, somebody's supposed to be washing somebody's feet. I wonder which one of y'all is going to take on that responsibility because it certainly ain't going to be me. And Jesus knew what was in their hearts and he knew what was going on and he knew what culture demanded and he knew what their protocol was and he said, okay, fine, I'll do it myself. Not that big of a deal, guys. I'll take it on. So Jesus, confident in who he was, was not afraid to lose face in front of his fellows. Then we look at verse eight, John chapter 13, and it says, Peter goes, no, 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 you will never wash my feet. Never. And Jesus looks at him and says, no, Peter, if I don't, you have no part in me. There had to be something in Peter that, was, uh, that Jesus did not like. They didn't name it here. I call it pride. Let me give you a, another story to help you understand what I think Peter was going through here. And, and I don't think Peter was necessarily a bad person for having this, but it was an issue that needed to be corrected. How many of you people have ever heard of the television show on PBS called Downton Abbey? Anybody? Downton Abbey is a television show that is set in the uh, turn of the century, 1900s, uh, from 1800s to 1900s in the Edwardian era in England. It's, the, it's about a household that is run by Lord Grantham and his three daughters and his wife and the whole household of servants. And the, end, the, the, story, the whole story started out that... Um, that the heir to the Grantham fortune had been lost in the Titanic sinking. And as a result, they needed to find a new heir. Even though Lord Grantham had three daughters, they weren't legally allowed to hold the, the title or any of the land or any of the money that had to go to the next closest male heir. So in the storyline, Lord Grantham, who is the older gentleman on the right, and the, two, the two guys in the red, and Matthew Crawley is his closest male relative. He's a cousin once or twice or three times removed from the daughters of Lord Grantham. And so Matthew Crawley and his mother are brought to this village to live, to become, to be trained, basically, into becoming the new Lord Grantham when the time comes. And Matthew is a lawyer in his own right, and he's lived on his own, and he is, he's a person of means, but he's not a wealthy arist- aristocrat. He's kind of an upper-middle-class person, if there was such a thing back then. And he really is struggling in trying to take on this role that he knows he has no choice in because protocol demands that he has to be the one because he's the next in line. But he's really not comfortable with any of this. And so Lord Grantham assigns to Matthew Crawley a butler and personal valet in the person of Joseph Molesley. Now, Matthew Crawley chafes at the very idea of someone being his servant. Matthew Crawley cannot stand the idea that this guy, Joseph, wants to dress him. He can't stand the idea that Joseph wants to serve him his drinks. When he wants a cup of tea, I'm perfectly capable of pouring my own tea, thank you very much. And it's causing great pain in the life of Joseph Moseley, who feels called to the position of personal valet and butler. And so there's this tension going on and a conversation happens between Lord Grantham and Matthew Crawley one day and Lord Grantham says, so how are things working out with Mosley? Well, to tell you the truth, I can't stand it. What? I can't stand it. It's driving me crazy and I wish that he would just go away. And this is the, the wisdom that Lord Grantham says to Matthew. We all have different parts to play, Matthew, and we must all be allowed to play them. Simple statement. We all have parts to play, Matthew, and we must be allowed to play them. And what I see in that statement is that this idea of pride needs to be set aside. And if God has ordained that you're the leader of something or the higher one of something, then you need to live that because that's the calling God has placed on your life. If you are the servant then God has ordained that. And you have a responsibility before God to live out your calling to the best of your abilities. All of which means we have to know who we are and not be afraid of, quote, unquote, losing face and do not allow the enemy to instill any type of pride in us in fulfilling that life that God has ordained for us the calling that he has on us. Wow, there's a lot to this idea of servant leadership. It's more than just simply being a leader and being a servant. Look at Mark chapter nine, verses 33 to 35. Mark chapter nine, Mm -hmm. 33 to 35. The disciples and Jesus came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you guys arguing about on the road? And they got real quiet, because while they were on the road, they had argued about, amongst themselves about who was greatest of all of them. And so sitting down, Jesus called the twelve disciples, and he said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and servant of all. Now, this is the very first time that Jesus, I I believe, that Jesus was teaching them this. What we just read about the washing of the feet was the culmination of Jesus' three years of teaching. Matthew chapter nine, I believe, if I'm correct, it's the very first time Jesus brings this thought to them. So over the course of these next three years, he's gonna be reinforcing that. You have to be willing to be the servant. You have to be willing to be the servant. And the problem for the disciples is, this is an oxymoronic thought, Oxymorons are things where you say one thing and it's kind of the opposite of what it is. Jokingly, oxymorons could be good morning. What do you mean there's no such thing as a good morning? Or military intelligence. Another joke. Ha 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 ha. Okay? But there are things that are oxymoronic, and that's this idea here that Jesus is presenting. It goes against what logically you would think. It goes against the idea of a leader, because a leader in normal human being is one that everyone aligns themselves under and behind. But if you try to be a servant, they won't follow you, will they? If I try to be by myself, I mean, try to be humble and meek and mild like Jesus was, who's going to follow me? And so there's this interesting dynamic that goes on in this, in this oxymoronic thinking of Jesus. Moving on, to one more page on the same, in the same gospel, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus said. Mark chapter 10, verse, well, 35 through 45. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus and said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Well, that's an interesting... Way to present their question. He's like, so what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, well, let us sit on your right and on the other, on the other one on your left in your glory. And Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I, or be baptized with the baptism that I'm being baptized with? "Oh, sure we can, they answered. He said, well, you know, really you are going to drink the cup and, drink, and be baptized in the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit at my right or left, it's not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've already been prepared. But when the 10 heard about this, when they heard what the other two had done, they became indignant with James and John. You see, this is an opportunity that the enemy tried to do to bring division into the lead, the followers of Jesus Christ. This is an opportunity that the enemy did to, to throw in a little dart to try and mess up the relationships that Jesus was establishing with these people. Jesus turned to them and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them? and their high officials exercise authority over them, it's not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus knew who he was. Jesus willingly took on the role. And he came down, giving up his glory so that the purposes of God could be accomplished. And he said, I know who I am, and I willingly set that aside. If you go back to John chapter 13, where we were originally in that that section, chapter 13, verses 12 and 13, 12 through 15 says, when Jesus finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place and he said, do you understand what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord and that's right because that's who I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. I have set the example. And the question I have for you this afternoon or what is this afternoon now is, are you better than your master? You think you're better than Jesus? And if you're saying you're not, then why aren't you willing to serve him or serve those around you? Why do you think you have to be so and so and such and such? Why do you have to strive to have any kind of a name in this community or in your workplace or your organizations that you're part of. We'll get back to that in a second. Turn to 1 Peter chapter four. 1 Peter, it's after Hebrews, after James. 1 Peter chapter four, verses 10 and 11. Each one of you should use whatever gifts he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God can be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever. Ever. Amen. And what this is saying is that God has specifically gifted each and every one of you. Some of you may be only one gift, some of you may be five gifts, some of you may be ten gifts, based on His ability to trust you with what He has given to you. And God gave you those gifts specifically for the building up of the body of Christ and for the evangelization of the world, and ultimately to bring glory to the Father. You are part of the body, you have specific gifts, talents, abilities, and it is your responsibility to use them, not so that you can be puffed up, or built up, or make yourself feel good because I'm contributing. You should be doing it because it's appropriate to serve, because Jesus gave that as the example. You may be the best, you fill in the blank. That best talent and skill that you have, what are you using it for in the kingdom? How are you using that ability to bless God and his people and to bring the truth of the gospel into the world? Or are you just making yourself look good? I'm taking classes on spiritual formation. That's what my master's degree is gonna be in. One of the very first books that we read talked about this idea of spiritual formation. And there's an easy definition that they gave us that it just fits right into this idea of servant leadership. Robert Mulholland wrote a book called Invitation to a Journey. And he stated in his book a definition for spiritual formation. And it is spiritual formation being like Christ. Spiritual formation is a process of being conformed to the image of Christ for the sake of others. You see, so often, so often, the focus is be like Jesus, be like Jesus. Bless me, God, let me be like you, God. Why? So I can be with you, Jesus, so I can experience you, Jesus, so I can know you personally, Jesus, why do you want to be like me? It has told you. Why? It's not about you. It's about me. It's about my purposes. It's about my kingdom. It's about my glory. Why do you want to be like Jesus? For the sake of others. Jesus taught it over and over and over and over and over again. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you must be the servant of all. The very son of God did not come to be served, but to be a servant. And we should follow his example. Now comes a dilemma that Pastor Bob has struggled with in his own personal walk. Acts chapter six, verses one through four. This is the story. Well, let's just read it because it's easier to read than to try and do a synopsis. Acts chapter six, verses one through four. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, we're talking thousands because this is right after the Pentecost experience. It said 3,000 people came into the church in one day, so they went from 120 to 3,000. Okay, and then it says even more daily and daily and daily, God was adding to the number that were being saved. So in verse 1 of chapter 6, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebrew Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 apostles gathered all the disciples together, all 3,000, 5,000 plus, and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, And we will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. It's very sound thinking. I'm called to be the spiritual leader. I'm called to be the head. I'm called to be the one who studies God's word and proclaims it to you. Therefore, it would not be appropriate for me to divert my attention from that calling to cleaning tables and setting up tables and moving folding chairs or cleaning toilets or making sure that the trash is taken out or mowing the lawn or s- removing snow or, whatever, or working, uh, leading a work and witness team and all of that other stuff. And this is a struggle that I've had as a pastor. Lord, if I'm supposed to follow the teachings of Acts chapter six and model this for my people, then hmm, I can't be blah, 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 blah. Okay, seriously, I've struggled with this for for nine stinking years. I'm getting ready to preach a sermon to my people on servant leadership. I wake up at five in the morning because I still have some PowerPoint stuff I've got to get done. I shower, I dress, I come over to the church at 6.30 so that I can get the heat turned on, so I can make sure that things are ready for you guys. And I was gonna do the sidewalk, but thank God somebody last night came and did it for me. I didn't have to worry about that. And the Lord was saying, Now, I'm not saying this to go, I'm so wonderful. I'm just saying, Bob, you realize that you do do some stuff? You you do serve this congregation in some ways. I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right, God, I do. I, I, I am a servant leader. Pretty cool. And so then I went into my office and I sat down at my computer to start working on the PowerPoint to finish up for this morning. And all of a sudden, the three cups of coffee hit me. And you don't need to hear the rest. You just understand that, I had to leave my office and walk across to another room. And um, I went into that other room. And I walked in and I looked and I saw that on Thursday night when we had our children's ministry here, one of those children were not healthy. Because there was evidence right there that I'm out of here. That's disgusting. And I walked out and I thought, well, we'll just have to shut that toilet down for the day because there's not time to call somebody to have them come clean it and take care of it and i got to get busy because I'm working on God's work here. And the Lord said, really? You don't have time and you don't know where the cleaning supplies are? Yeah, I do. Then why aren't you taking care of this? Is it that bad? No. Then why aren't you taking care of this, Bob? because I'm a pastor and I don't want to. <laughs> I'm a spiritual leader and I don't have to. Oh, good, Bob. And what was that part in your sermon about pride? And what was that part in your sermon about losing face? And what was that you're going to be talking to people about being a servant to all? What about the poor woman who's going to come down here because they have to go to the bathroom really bad and see that, and they're going to have no choice but to sit there anyway? Okay, God. And so I went over to the janitor's closet and I got the stuff. And as nasty as it was, I cleaned it up. Now I'm not telling you this to say I'm wonderful. I'm telling you this to say that I still struggle with my own stuff. I'm trying my desperately best to be a servant of the living God, to model Christ in my community, to be a leader to this congregation and this community, and I still have issues that I have to struggle with with pride and arrogance. And big-headedness. I'm the octopus with the big puffy head when it comes to certain things. And I recognize that as I'm saying these to you, you're probably thinking in your own world where you have stuff that you're not willing to do because that's beneath you. Let me bring to us the last thought, the last section of scripture, and then we're gonna close our time. Luke chapter 14, verses 7 through 11, Jesus' is teaching. Luke chapter 14. One Sabbath. Excuse me, I'm too far up. Seven. Well, let's just, let's just start at verse 1 and go through 14. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. And there in front of him was a man suffering from dropsy. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him away. Then he asked them, if one of you had a son or an ox that falls into the well on the Sabbath day, would you not immediately pull him out? And they had nothing to say. And then as this was going on, it says, when Jesus noticed how the guests picked places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this man your seat. Then, humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, instead, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, oh, friend, no, 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 move up here to a better place. You, out. And then you will be honored in the presence of all your fellow guests. And here's the verse I wanted us to hear. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Two stories and I'm done. A number of years ago, I won't name the church because it would be inappropriate, but it was big enough and on the papers that you would know who I'm talking about if I named the church and the person. There was a pastor in this town, a relatively young person in his 20s, single. I had opportunity to associate with him in various ways professionally, uh, at various meetings and various things that were going on around the city. And I had opportunity to observe this young man in his working as a pastor in this community. I saw that he had a throne in his sanctuary. It was his seat and his seat alone and next to it there was a table that was always filled with, there was a, glass, a pitcher that was always filled with chilled ice water and a clean glass that was always there. Someone made sure that it was always there for him. There was always a fresh handkerchief for this man to use when he was preaching and when he needed to do anything or go anywhere, he had a personal attendant who carried his things for him. And I saw this man in his arrogance walking in this role. And I, I, I was really bothered by the fact that I felt that way about him, but I was like, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt. I don't fully understand his culture, so maybe this is the way it's supposed to be. So I backed off and didn't, didn't do anything or say anything. I just I was just bothered by it. Well, as time went on, it ended up that this young man ended up having a moral failure by having sexual relations with a young person in his church and was subsequently removed from his position as pastor and was prosecuted by the local authorities and is now serving time in jail. And what I saw there was this person who rightfully had the role of spiritual leader. And in that particular church culture, They did do that type of honoring of their spiritual leader. They provided a special place. They provided someone to make sure that the physical needs were attended to so that the person didn't have to worry about taking care of stuff. They had an attendant or an associate who dealt with their daily things, making sure. But this person went over the top. This guy, this pastor, got a big head. Saw himself as better than he really was didn't have a heart of mind, a heart or mindset of being a servant, and just took on the role of leader. And the end result was that he fell. Satan had a great victory, and that church just about died. They're still struggling to survive. I'll tell you one other story. Last night I was at an ordination service for Pastor J.R. Stepp from Fairhill Community Church of God. And a uh, reverend who was there who had been an interim pastor during a couple of years, uh, Reverend David New, he was speaking at this service as one of the speakers. And he told a story that he used to be involved with Christian broadcast ministry. Now, he said in his in his own words, let me just read it to you. Well, Actually, I didn't bring it up. Okay. He said... I have seen the big people, the big names in Christian television, Christian music, in the industry. And I've watched. And as I've seen, I've noticed those who were arrogant and those who lived humbly. He said, I just want to tell you, it's apparent when you watch from the outside. Number two, he said to us, and this is the thing I want you to, to know. He said, when... When, um, I'm sorry, I'm trying to read his notes. He gave me his notes and I just want to read it to you. He said that when he entered into ministry, this person that was in his church, a a woman came up to him and she was an ex-military person, very, very rugged, very rough, very tough. And she came up to him and she said, do you want to be a success in this church? And I went, of course I do. She said, then you be a servant. You do everything you can to make those with whom you serve look good. And while you're at it, do the same for your wife. Take time to listen to them and work at working together. And he said, I took it to heart. Not not only because of the way she said it to me, but I took it to heart and she was right. It was great advice. Let me read these statements to you one more time. Be a servant. Do everything you can to make those with whom you serve look good. That's not the world. You do what you can to make your fellows look good. And while you're at it, do the same with your family. Listen to them. And make it intentional about working together with them. That's how you'll be successful. That's servant leadership. Jesus said, I did not come to earth to be served. But to serve and to give my life as a ransom. Be like me. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you and praise you for what you're doing and how you're ministering to us through your word. And I ask God right now that you would just let this truth settle into our heart. Help us, God. Help us to bring glory to your name and not to ours. Amen. Oops, there's your questions for your discussion groups. How hard is it for you to accept help from someone else and how hard is it for you to fulfill the role to which God has called you? What challenges do you face in both of those areas? Amen.